and welcome to episode 138 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on July 4th, 2019. That's right, it is July 4th. It is Independence Day, so... I guess, happy Independence Day, even though we have concentration camps in the United States and people are being held in them. But, you know, happy Independence Day anyway. My name is Corey Motley. I am a podcast producer. I am a co-host of this podcast, and I am an an occasional writer at GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is my co-host and partner in crime, Brad Galloway. He He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? Uh, I am fine, although I'm glad that you brought up the 4th of July thing. I thought I was going to have to pop that bubble, but you did it for me. So, yeah, uh, literally nothing to celebrate this 4th of July. I feel like this is the most bitterly ironic holiday ever. Like you said, we've got literal, actual concentration camps at the border. We've got an illegitimate president who wants to be emperor for life. We've got grifters and liars running uh, the show and the government. Uh, Nothing at all to celebrate today, but... I know that a lot of people come to our show as a respite from the horrors of real life, and I respect that. Everybody needs a mental break once in a while, and I've, you know, I've had people reach out to us and say, you know, hey, your place is, your, your podcast is something that I listen to when I need a break, and I need just to, like, to be okay for a few minutes, and that's a valuable, necessary thing. I'm very glad that we can serve that function for people, so we will not get extremely political other than the brief observation that we just made. Uh, and we do want to continue um, being a respite for people who need it, who are out there fighting the good fight. So, yeah, no happy 4th of July to anybody today. Uh, refuse to recognize that holiday myself this year. But with that observation, uh, otherwise, I am fine. Hopefully get those kids out of those cages soon. And uh, we can move on with the rest of the show. Sounds like a plan to me. Um, just so everybody is aware, at the, the very last section of the show, the very last game, or not the last section, but the last game that we talk about during this section of the show, Brad and I are going to be talking about Hitman 2. They did launch a new level. It's a bank heist level, which I touched, I touched on briefly last week uh, during last week's show, but Brad has played it since then. Um, I have played it multiple times since then, so we're going to go pretty in-depth. You might consider it a spoiler section. We will put up the actual, you know, red alert, alarm bells, spoiler um, when we get to it. But just so everybody knows, we will be discussing the bank level in-depth later on in the show, uh, just so we don't have any angry people coming at us for spoiling it. Uh, We will be talking about that later, but we will remind you of the spoiler alert uh, later on whenever we get to it. but that's, I don't have any real housekeeping notes or anything. Brad, do you have anything before we get started? No, that's it. I say we forge ahead and get a show in the can. All right, let's do it. Well, because I am hosting this week, uh, Brad, I will give you the floor for the first game. Uh, what would you like to start with? Um, I'm going to start with a preview. We don't do a ton of previews here. And in fact, we don't do a lot at Game Critics either, because I feel like most of the time you're just shown a very little bit and you don't really want to say too much that's negative because a lot could still change. And honestly, I feel like it's kind of a waste of time. Um, I'd much rather spend our efforts on something that is finished and able to be evaluated. But every once in a while, something will come along that I think is worth a preview and worth a mention. Um, And one of those occasions is happening right here, right now. I was uh, contacted by a guy I think you've probably heard of, uh, good old Carlos Rodella. Are you familiar with this person, Corey? Yeah, Carlos Rodella. I did my very first 
Well, maybe it wasn't my very first, but it was my second trip to Seattle, my very first in-person and not Skype slash Discord slash video chat podcast with you and him for his old show, the um, Video Game Break podcast. And that is a memory that I cherish to this day. And I'm also mad because I don't think that podcast episode is available online anywhere anymore. That really makes me sad because I thought it was a great show and I had a wonderful time in Seattle recording with you guys. I, you know, I, I wonder if that episode or that series is available somewhere. I should probably reach out to Carlos because I was um, on that show quite a bit for a while. And, I, you know, it was a pretty good show. Carlos is a fun guy. He's got good energy. He always had interesting things to say. It would be a shame if those episodes were lost uh, you know, in the halls of history. So maybe I'll ask him if those are available somewhere, but yeah, that, anyway, he's not doing podcasting anymore, or at least not in the same fashion. Uh, he is now working for midwinter entertainment and they are a recently formed studio, which is near where I live. I, I guess it's not a secret to say they're just across the water in Kirkland. I don't think that's secret information. Um, but they're only like 20 minutes away from where I'm at. And he invited me over to see a new game that they're working on. So I didn't know anything about the game. It's called Scavengers. And it's been put together by a team of industry vets. Um, I looked at the list of games they've worked on before the show. And of course, I forgot everything. Um, but it's like there's a couple Halo people. There's a couple Call of Duty people. There's a couple uh, folks from other things. I mean, like, like regardless, if you go to their website and you look at their like gameography, like it's all games you've heard of. Like they're all big, successful games. So clearly these people have um, chops. They, they're not just newbies coming in off uh, Kickstarter or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying, you know, they, they've been around the block a little bit. So uh, they invited me to their studio and I brought my son along uh, and the two of us went for a hands-on playtest of Scavengers. And I have to say, I walked away pretty impressed. Uh, so before I start, Corey, have you heard of Midwinter or do you know anything at all about Scavengers? I, this is the first I've heard of it, is you talking about it right here. Okay, so they, I guess, are still pretty new. They put out a couple videos before E3, and apparently this most recent 2019 E3 was the first time they ever showed gameplay. So I think they won a couple awards at the show, if memory serves, so it was a pretty good showing for them. Uh, we went out to their studio. They were all super friendly people, really great. We got a little tour of the studio, got to see some concept art. A lot of the stuff we saw is under embargo, and I am not at liberty to discuss it. But we did get to play two full rounds of uh, Scavengers, and I really liked it a lot. So the gist is it's a third-person open-world title, but it's not like a traditional title. Uh, what you do is you 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 and a team of uh, you're on a team of three people. You rocket down to the surface of Earth. You're in orbit beforehand. You come down to the Earth's surface. And you get dropped down randomly onto this map. And the map apparently is pretty huge. Um, in the two matches that we played, it felt like we were on completely different maps. And I was like, is this a different map? I'm like, no, it's the same one. We're just <laughs> on a different part. So it's pretty big, pretty big. And other people will drop down. Like, there'll be various teams of three, but you're not all together. Like, me and Carlos and my son were in one section. And the other team of three was, like, so far away, I couldn't even see them on the map. I didn't even know where they were. And there was like another team of three that was like also like mega far away and we didn't know where they were. So we weren't like all sticking together as a group or anything. Just the three of us were together and other people just happened to like be in the world. Um, and so what happens is it's kind of a weird mix of like competitive games, but it's also cooperative. It reminded me a little bit of Fortnite, but there's also like a lot of like environmental stuff going on. So the Earth has had some kind of catastrophe and it's like in a deep freeze. There's like snow everywhere, uh, really cold and freezing. When you land, you don't have anything, and so you have to immediately start scavenging, which is, I guess, where they get their name, 
scavenging for, you know, clothes or guns or bullets or melee weapons or whatever. So, like, you know, hopefully you land near some ruins or some abandoned houses or something. You start scavenging for stuff, and then you can share stuff with your team. So, like, if you find, I don't know, two baseball bats and you only need one, you can give one to your partner and you can share, and it's fine. And then the point of it is you need to go and, like, find these, like, little, I don't know, samples or something. There's, like, these mutants that are, like, roaming the wilderness, and they're AI mutants, and you got to, like, find them and kill them and get their samples, and that's how you get EXP, experience points in the game. So you go down, you scavenge some stuff, you level up, um, and if you find enough gear, enough, I don't know, stuff in the world, if you kill enough animals, if you find enough stuff laying around, every person has, like, blueprints that are innate to their character type. So, like, you land and, like, let's say, for example, you got nothing, so you pick up a club and you find, like, a hat or something and you put it on, whatever, but... If you, if you get enough stuff, you can break that stuff down into materials and then make the stuff that is perfectly designed for your character type. So, like, the first guy I used uh, was, like, he had, like, a halberd. So, like, once I found enough stuff, I could make the halberd, and then all of a sudden I was, like, way stronger. Uh, the second guy I used, um, I was able to craft, like, a pretty good suit of armor, and he had, like, a really cool rifle. So I went from, like, using a sharp stick and, to using, like, a rifle that had, like, 200 rounds in it. You can make your own bullets and stuff. So once you find enough stuff, like, it levels you up, and you can be more efficient depending on what class you are and so you kind of go through the world and scavenge and like stay together and support each other and there's all sorts of like ai stuff happening like there's storms in the world that you have to avoid there are animals wandering around that you can kill or that might attack you there are ai um you know grunts and monsters and stuff that you have to kind of like stick together and protect yourself from and you also have to like uh, uh manage hunger radi i think it's radiation or maybe it's like corruption or something like that and heat so you, like, every once in a while have to, like, find a campfire to warm up a little bit. You got to, like, find some food to eat. And once you go through all this stuff, sticking together, supporting each other, uh, once you find enough of these, uh, the XP items, the samples, uh, a ship will come down and it'll be like, okay, yeah, make it to the ship in the next three minutes and we're leaving. So then you got to, like, book it to the ship and get on board. And if you leave, then you collect the uh, experience points and you can level up your character along a progression and stuff. Uh, but there's a couple twists to it. So, like, in addition to, like, the ambient, like, pve world stuff happening which is apparently going to keep you pretty busy um i mean lots of randomness but also there's friendly fire and the teams don't necessarily have to work together so like if you land with a team of three nothing is forcing you to stay with them i mean it, it's better for you if you do because you're helping each other out but you can like lone wolf it if you want to and even even more than that um you don't need to be friendly to the other teams that are in the area you can work together if you want to nothing is making you not work together uh, but if you are, I guess, an asshole, or if you are a big fan <laughs> of the Division's Dark Zone, you can uh, try to kill the other players and steal their XP. Now, when I played this game, I was like, this seems really cool and fun, and I could imagine myself doing a lot of these runs because dropping down with friends and kind of doing these scavenging runs was actually pretty fun. Like, I thought the combat felt good, the landscape looked pretty cool, and just, like, the moment-to-moment the -moment action was really fun. Like, I thought it was very engaging. Um, but as soon as he mentioned PVP, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to get fucking trolled by people whose, whose, you know, reason for living is to make other people's games bad, right? Like there's a ton of people out there who just, their only thing is to fuck other people over. And they were like, no, it's not going to be a pro big problem. And I'm like, have you ever played a video game before? Have you ever been <laughs> online? Do you know what you're talking about? And they seemed very convinced that, that PVP would not be abused because, there's a lot of other factors in the environment, like you're constantly losing heat, you're constantly getting hungry, you're constantly um, defending yourself from the PvE stuff, and they feel like 
that there's enough stuff going on in the world that the opportunity for people to just troll is not going to be that is not going to be that available that people will be spending most of their time trying to stay alive and supporting each other rather than trying to kill each other. And I'm like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I don't believe you. Um, I think that PVP is going to be a problem. And I just, I kept hammering that over and over because this game seemed really fun, but nothing makes a game less fun faster than people like, you know, sniping you when you spawn in or like you get, you know, you have a good run, you get some EXP, you get back to the ship and then there's some asshole there waiting with a rock launcher to blow you away. Like it's not fun. Right. So they're like, okay, 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 we hear you. We're going to do some more troll testing because you seem so adamant about this. So I'm like, yes, please do some because I feel like you guys are not giving this thing its proper due. It's going to be a problem, I guarantee you. Uh, but other than that, the game looks really fucking cool, honestly. Like, I mean, just going down with the team and going doing these random searches. I could easily see this game being kept fresh because you keep getting dropped in different locations. It's always new. Like, sometimes you, you find nothing. Sometimes you find a giant mutant bear with tentacles you got to fight off. Sometimes you find like this giant warlord guy. Sometimes you find scrubs. I mean, sometimes you find nothing like it just keeps it fresh. And also since they have the entire earth to work with, I mean, they could very easily drop you in a different map. They could have different PVE events. They could have different, uh, you know, they could even do it like seasons like Fortnite. I mean, Fortnite changes things up every season. There's always something happening. They could easily do that with this game. So I feel like if they get the combat nailed down and if they get the PVP nailed down, They've got a pretty good formula here that I feel like could be kept fresh for like a really long time. Um, and with each match, I want to say like each match was no longer than like maybe 10 or 15 minutes tops. Like you could dip in and out really quickly for some, you know, get home from work. You got time for like two matches. Then you got to make dinner. You got to go on with your day or whatever. I, I think there's a real market for this kind of like experience that would maintain familiarity and that you could jump in and out of, but then it would also be kept fresh, kind of like a Warframe, kind of like a Fortnite, something like that. Um, I think there's a lot of potential here. Uh, so I feel pretty positive about it if they can get this stuff nailed down. And the people on this team obviously have a good pedigree. They know what they're doing. Um, I was squawking like crazy about the PvP, so hopefully they're going to lock that down. And I think it just looks like a really fucking cool game. Uh, it's not going to be ready until next year, 2020, but so far in the matches that I played, I had a great time and I actually wanted to play more. And my son who was playing with me, we were on the same team. He was like, I want to play this right now. So he was on board. I'm on board. And it seems like midwinter is on a very successful trajectory at the moment. Whenever you're talking about the PVP stuff and them saying like, oh, well, we're going to have so much stuff going on in the environment or so many like AI elements that people won't really be able to have the time or the energy to troll other human players. Um, my immediate thought to that is kind of similar to yours where I feel like what could happen is that you're going to have people who are going to say, oh, well, now you're just going to make me work extra hard to be an asshole to other players. So that's what I'm going to do. Like, don't underestimate, like, who cares about these AI elements? Who cares about this winter storm that's happening over here? Like, I'm going to be the biggest asshole I possibly can. And now you're just making it more difficult for me to troll other players. So I'm going to try even harder to do that now. Yeah, I mean, there's people out there who they're only purpose in life is to ruin other people's games like i mean we met some of those people in the division i played with some of those people in other games and they're terrible they are terrible people i mean i don't know what they're like in real life but they've got to be assholes to be such assholes online and it's just like it's such a huge factor um that i don't like to ever play any game whether you control other people or pvp like warframe was super successful for me because 
you could not troll other people. Like, you only had to work together. Um, same thing with the division. If you stay out of the dark zone, you only can work together. Like, you can't really fuck the other people up. And so it's to everybody's advantage to work together. But the second you give somebody even a small reason to fuck somebody else over, they're going to take it every single time. Like, I won't. But I know for a fact that there's no shortage of people out there who will. And that really gives me pause because I think that is probably the one big wrench that could be thrown into the works here. I don't want to see this game devolve into like another Dark Zone situation where they're like these roving band of assholes who like level up and they spend all their time just like ganking other players and it just kills it for everybody else. So um, I hope that they address this. I hope it gets solved. But in terms of the rest, um, I was really like it. I could totally see me doing this like, you know, once once a week or like this being kind of like my after work chill out game or something like that dip in for a couple runs see what's new for the season or whatever and just to be clear they didn't announce seasons i'm just making that up on my own it's i'm not spoiling anything i'm just imagining <laughs> what could be possible um that's not confirmed or anything uh, but i could see them doing like you know a new event new pve event or a new a new season or something and you know new characters or new monsters or something like i would be up for like a little bit of that where it's it's deep enough that you enjoy playing it but it's not so deep that you have to devote all your time to it and it's, it's light enough that you can just get a couple games, but uh, it's still satisfying. So I think they're in a good zone. Like, I really do. I just, I'm, you know, apart from the PvP concerns, I think they're going to be in a really good good sweet spot. Well, good. I, uh, I remain hopeful that this will be good. I don't know if this will be my kind of game, um, but I would maybe try it whenever it comes out, whenever it launches, just to see, especially if this is the kind of thing that, like, me and you and your wife could get in on just to test the waters a little bit. Um, but it definitely sounds interesting, and I'm glad that they seem to be successful so far with this. Well, let's keep an eye on it. I could see us playing this. I bet you would like this. I think this feels like it's in the right spot for you. I feel like this could be a good co-op game. So we'll keep an eye on this. But, you know, who knows? I'm not sure how far off it is. They said at least 2020, and it was looking good so far, but there was still some work to do. So we will stay in touch. I will, I will keep you guys updated, and I'm sure we will be talking about scavengers at some point in the future. Um, so now let me turn it over to you, Corey. I know that you were very excited to try my friend Pedro. Uh, and apparently, according to the script in front of me, you must have managed to get your hands on it. So how about you tell <laughs> us all about it? I would love to. Um, so I, as if you listen to the banter at the end of the show, um, you will have heard or you will hear that I was out of town for several days. I went to San Francisco earlier and... Um, on the flight, I had two flights there and two flights back, and while I was there, I thought, well, you know, I maybe need something new to play on the plane, because the Switch is kind of tailor-made for airplane playing. I was playing a lot of Resident Evil 4 on the way there. Um, I knew that my friend Pedro had come out. Uh, this is by Dead Toast, uh, published by Devolver Digital. And I actually passed up a review copy for this game. I had the opportunity to review it, but I thought it might... I mean, I was very interested in it, but... It seemed like the kind of game that might be really hard. Um, so I was pretty nervous. Uh, like, I didn't want to review it because I thought it might have been too hard for me because Devolver sometimes has a track record of their games being really hard. So I passed up the review copy, but then I bought it on my own to play on the plane. And um, I am here to say that it's pretty wonderful. I'm enjoying it so far. Um, but let me talk about the actual game itself. So this has been a pretty... I would consider this to be a pretty well-hyped game. Um, it came out on PC and Switch, which is pretty fascinating because it's not on Xbox One. It's not on PlayStation 4. I'm sure they'll probably bring them to the consoles eventually. Um, but it's kind of like a nice, weird, exclusive crossover between the Switch and PC gamers. And it's a 2D side-scrolling shoot-em-up game. It's kind of like if you took Max Payne 
and made it like extra goofy and made it 2D. That's very similar to what this feels like. You basically play as this guy who, I mean, the story is really stupid, but it's also self-aware about itself to know that it's stupid. You're basically just like, have been held prisoner somewhere by some gang and you're like fighting your way through like restaurants and sewers and, you know, these all these sort of stereotypical video game levels to get to this like kind of mob boss or this crime lord or something. And it's basically just an excuse for you to like run and gun and side scroll and shoot. But the fun thing about the game is that the combat is very silly like it's a lot based around how high of a combo you can keep um how many like how like stylishly you can kill the enemies around you because you can do a lot of kind of very silly super mario type stuff where you can like do wall jumps and you can just like continuously like wall jump from wall to wall from left to right to get up uh like certain passages or you can like grab onto these like suspended hooks and sort of like um, you know, like slide down these ropes while you're shooting both your guns and all these enemies. And there's a slow motion button. If you click on the left thumbstick, it goes slow-mo. So you can really sort of like target things. Um, if you hold the left uh, trigger, you can split your aim. So like you aim one direction, you hold the left trigger to keep your gun there. And usually it locks onto an enemy that's nearby. And then you use the stick to aim a different direction. So you can do split aiming to aim at multiple people at once. And it's just like a really big, silly, just like side-scrolling shoot-em-up game. Like, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's not here to, like, make a point about the human condition or anything like that. It's just a really silly, sort of stylish, kill-crazy, side-scrolling, like, run-and-gun game. And I'm really happy to report that it's not very hard. I have died a few times. But every time you die, you respawn pretty much within the last, like, maybe three seconds of when you died. So you never die, and it sends you back, like, you know, to the beginning of the level. It's not like Hotline Miami like that. And it doesn't send you back to, like, some checkpoint that was, you know, ten minutes beforehand or something. And every level, like, the game's divided up into individual stages, and every level only takes about ten or so minutes to beat. So the levels are really short. It's easy to just pick up and play a couple levels at a time if you just have, like... Maybe if you're on a break at work or if you just get home from work and you uh, have a few minutes to play something or you want to get a few levels in before bed, it's really easy to just play a few levels and then put it down. But I find myself, whenever I pick it up, I play several levels at once because I'm not really... I have more time than that usually whenever I'm sitting down to play games. So it's really fun. It's not that hard. I don't know if it'll get hard later. That's something I'm a little bit worried about because I feel like sometimes even with games that are arcadey like this or even games that devolver puts out um they start off easy then they kind of like slowly ramp up to being really hard but so far it hasn't gotten a lot harder on me um you know there have been some tougher enemies but you get sort of different weapons to balance it out like you start with one pistol you get double pistols you get double uzis i've found shotguns to use um and so it kind of balances out the enemies as you as you come across harder enemies in the game. And I haven't beaten it. I don't know how far I am in it right now. I would say maybe like halfway. I really have no idea how far I am in it because the story doesn't really lend itself to giving you like an overarching feeling of the pacing of everything, which I that's something I would normally complain about with games. But for here, I'm fine with it because the game's just really fun. It does that amazing Devolver thing where... The same thing happened with Hotline Miami. The same thing happened with Ruiner, where it just has really great music. And it just, like, lulls you into this weird state of, like, 
cool music hypnosis where you're just like playing the game and you're just kind of, I'm just kind of like bobbing my head to the game while I'm like running around killing these dudes and doing these really silly like wall jump acrobatics while I'm aiming my pistols at different people and shooting at them. Um, it's just really stylish. It's really fun. It does not take itself seriously at all. Um, and I'm having a really good time with it. So I would, I would highly, I mean, if this sounds like anybody's bag, I would highly recommend this to uh, PC or to Switch players because I think it's really fun and I'm having a really good time with it so far. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I've seen videos of it and I mean, it's, it, I mean, I'm guessing you just, you, what you see is what you get. I mean, it looks like you kind of like come in on the side, you shoot some dudes, you do some crazy acrobatics and bullets are bouncing all over the place. I mean, <laughs> that's basically like in a nutshell what it is, right? I mean, you're kind of just doing that over and over. So I'm guessing the variety comes from like, I don't know, like maybe you find some new props in the environment or something, or maybe just weird level designs or like, how do you, how do you find the gameplay to not be repetitive? Um, that's a good question. And I had thought about this um, and didn't mention it earlier. So one thing that I like about it, it, it I mean, to be frank, it is pretty repetitive. I mean, uh, most levels is just you kind of going through these mazy 2D environments, shooting dudes and jumping around shooting dudes and rolling around on the ground and, you know, doing these like, you know, jumping from wire to wire in the air and stuff like that. But generally every level will introduce, or maybe like every couple levels will introduce a new sort of like thing you can use in the environment. Like at the, for the first couple stages, it's very straightforward. You're basically just running, jumping, doing a tiny bit of like wall jumping to, to get to spaces. But then they introduce like these platforms that you stand on and like your weight on the platform kind of weighs them down. So it's sort of like an elevator, kind of like a pulley elevator. And it like whenever you stand on the platform and it lowers it down, it'll like open a door that gets pulled open in the like around the area. So you kind of have to like run under it really quickly. Um, eventually it introduces like ropes that you can jump on and you're kind of like freaking Max Payne Tarzan, like jumping from rope to rope in the air on these wires, like shooting dudes as you're like jumping from rope to rope. Um, it later on and introduced ropes where whenever you jump on them, it the rope starts pulling you toward the ceiling. It's almost like those weird like head crab things and half-life two or whenever they lick you it like pulls you up to the ceiling toward them although oh, it's not... <laughs> yeah 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 totally <laughs> it's not but they're not an enemy though it's just like a rope so you grab it and it pulls you up and um i've done one so far i'm assuming the game will have more but there actually was a vehicle level where you're on a motorcycle on the highway and you're basically just like going full speed and it's totally silly because you're like jumping up ramps on the highway and going back and forth between the lanes and like shooting your Uzis off your motorcycle. And it's totally silly, but that was a really fun level just because it, it added a little bit of, you know, something different to the, you know, normal side scrolling. But generally, I mean, the stuff that every level introduces, it's not like, like, an, oh, it's a new groundbreaking, like, oh, these ropes let you go to the ceiling. Like, you know, it's not like a huge thing, but it's just enough to like add a little bit of fun variety into each uh you know few stages to like show you something new and i'm sure they're going to keep doing it over the course of the game i just haven't beaten it yet but so far like the little bit of variety is is a nice touch because if it were just one hallway after another jumping on platforms killing dudes i mean it would still be pretty fun but i could see how it would get repetitive really quickly but they're adding you know little bits and pieces here and there to kind of liven things up in the levels all right well that sounds pretty good and do you feel like it runs pretty well on the switch yeah, I'm actually having a really good time on the Switch. I've played it, um, I've only played it two ways. I've played it, you know, handheld mode with the Joy-Cons attached, and I've played it uh, docked 
on the TV with a, like a, it's not the Pro Controller, but it's a very similar controller to the Pro Controller. And I have no complaints either way. Like, I was worried when I first started it that the controls would be really weird because, um, you know, when you watch videos of it, you think like, well, how in the hell is that game going to control? Like, that was something I was worried about. But, I mean, it works really well. You have your stick moves you left to right. There's a jump button. There's a kick button. Um, there's a reload button and the trigger, the right trigger shoots, the left trigger lets you do split aiming. If you hold the left bumper, he does this ridiculous, like these like ballerina spins that let him dodge bullets. And you can like hold that basically at any point to make yourself like pretty much invincible. Like you barely take damage whenever you do that. So it's kind of an easy out. Like the game is giving you a nice like little easy button there. So, so far, um, it runs really well and I've been enjoying it. Excellent, excellent. Sounds good. I think I'm gonna dip in on that one, but when it goes on sale, I you know I, I rarely buy a full price game these days, so um, that is not me making a judgment on this game because I don't buy anything for full price. But I I'm gonna pop for this as soon as it hits on sale. It sounds like a pretty fun time. It is. I would highly recommend it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, let's transition to um, one more thing on the Switch before we get into our spoiler section on the Hitman Bank level. I want to talk for a few minutes about Graveyard Keeper. Um, this is a new, well, it's not a new game. It's been around for a while on PC. Um, and I believe it hit Xbox one a while ago, but I think it's just now making its way to PS4 and switch. And I was aware of this game for a while, but I intentionally was holding off on the switch version. Um, because this is kind of like a Stardew Valley harvest moon sort of a thing where you have a lot of repetitive tasks that you do over and over and you kind of are a farmer of sorts, which I'll get into in a second. And I knew that I would not play that on a console. Like I, I, when I'm in front of a console, I have very limited time to be doing that. And so I want my action to be very high intensity and lots of explosions and to make it to, to play like a big game on a console. Um, and I want a smaller experience on the switch. And I felt like this would be a perfect, perfect fit. So I waited and waited and waited and waited. It finally came to the switch, picked it up right away. And I will say I did, I did buy this one for full price. That's how excited I was for this one. I, I just literally said I never buy a game for full price, and I just contradicted myself. But this is the first game. I think this is the first game all year that I've bought for full price, um, and I don't regret it. I think it's pretty good. Um, so Graveyard Keeper, like I said, it's kind of like a farming sim game, but as this title suggests, instead of just having a regular farm, you are literally a graveyard keeper. So what happens is you... There's a little bit of story intrigue. I'm not going to need a story, but basically you find yourself being the keeper of a graveyard, Uh, Every couple days, a donkey and a cart will come by and drop off a corpse. You pick up the corpse. You need to prepare the body. Take it into like a little morgue that you have and you clean it up whatever way you want to clean it up. And then you take the body to the actual graveyard and you dig a hole and bury it. And then once you're done with that, you have like a house. Your house has a little farm attached to it. There's woods nearby that you can like harvest wood. There's a town nearby where you can talk to people and buy some goods. There's some some lots of people to meet and everybody's got like a little quest for you. And it's basically just kind of like a, you know, like a harvest moon, like a Stardew Valley. I knew that I was only going to want to play one of these because it's kind of time intensive, time intensive, and it's got a lot of repetitive stuff, but I was kind of in the mood for it. Like I kind of wanted something where I could just come back to it time and again and having that feeling of control over an environment. Like, you know, this is my farm. I'm going to grow this farm the way that I want. I'm going to put stuff where I want to put it. And this is a world that I am in control of and nothing crazy is going to happen here. It's kind of a soothing feeling once in a while. I don't generally go in for those, but I was feeling the need for something like this now. And I figured 
graveyard keeper would be weird enough and strange enough and, and bizarre enough that it would keep my attention um, because I'm not sure if just farming itself would be entertaining enough. So popped for this one and I've really been enjoying it so far. Uh, there is the sensation of like being dropped off in the middle of the Pacific Ocean when I play this um, <laughs> and being told to swim to shore. Now, what I mean by that is like it's a really large game in terms of what there is to do like there's layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of stuff to do like at first you're like you just have a couple simple goals but it very quickly spirals and then all of a sudden you've got like 10 or 15 goals and each one of those has like 15 micro goals before you can get to the main goal and then there's all this other stuff and there's like a timer that's involved there's like a day night cycle and there's like a week cycle where certain people are available on certain days of the week and it just after a while, your head just starts to want to explode, and you're like, oh, my God, I feel super overwhelmed, which is what I mean by, like, being dropped off in the middle of the ocean. Like, you know, hey, you're in the middle of the Pacific. Pick a direction and start swimming, and eventually you get to shore, but you got a lot of work to get there before you get there. Um, for example, like, you know, I have this one quest where this guy wants a bottle of wine. I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty simple. Um, how do I get one? Well, I need to grow it. Okay, how do I grow it? Well, I got to get some grapes. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, you got to get a farm. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, you got to talk to this guy. <laughs> How do you get him to give you the farm? Well, you got to grow some vegetables first. How do you do that? Well, I got to find the recipe for this thing. Well, where do you get the recipe? This other guy gives it to you, but you got to get him some coins. Where do you get the coins? Well, you got to get this other person to come along with you. How do you get them to go along with you? Well, you got to chop down some trees. Like, you know, it's like this for like for like hours and hours. Like there's a string of stuff that you got to do. It's never as simple as I just got this thing and gave it to this person and then I was done. Like it's never that simple. Um, a lot of things span over multiple days. A lot of things have multiple conditions to them. Um, it does a pretty good job of tracking all your quests in the game, so I don't really feel the need to write down a lot of, like, notes or anything like that, which is good. And I feel like there's a lot of depth to it where there, there's, like, so much. I, I find myself just having to focus on one thing and ignoring everything else. And it's great that there's not really a time limit. Like, you can't just do anything anytime you want to. For example, like, some people are only available on a certain day, so you may have to wait. But... If you miss that person, it's not like anything bad happens. Like, you just have to wait till the next time they circle around. Which is good, because if there was actually, like, time pressure on top of all the other stuff, I don't think I would play it. It would be too much stress. But because every single uh, goal in the game can be done at your leisure, I think that may that saves the experience. And so you may have 37 goals, but, you know, you just focus on one at a time, and eventually you get there. Like, eventually you get the thing done that you need to do. Eventually you get to where you need to go. And it ends up being being good. Um, I'm to the point of the game. I'm not going to spoil a bunch of stuff, but I'm to the point of the game where like all sorts of like occult things start popping up, and there's a lot more going on in the town than you first realize. Um, I just uncovered like some new aspects of the game that are brand new, brand new mechanics. Um, and I'm glad that I waited because the developers added a new DLC just in time for the Switch version, and in the new DLC. It's zombies, but not in the traditional sense. What you can do as the Graveyard Keeper is you can actually bring the bodies that you get back to life and they can do work for you. So if you don't want to chop it down any more trees, you don't want to mine any more um, coal, you don't want to farm your vegetables anymore, you just create a couple zombies and then they can go and do that for you. So it frees you up from doing like those repetitive tasks. I mean, you can do them if you want, because I mean, it's kind of like therapeutic sometimes to do those things. But if you just want to move on with the story or you want to do some other goal, you can be like, okay, zombie over here in the farm, zombie over here in the coal mine, zombie over here in the forest, uh, bring this shit back to me when you're done, and then just go, just do it. And then they can go do it for you, which is pretty cool. I like that a lot. It's a really cool addition, and I'm glad that I got in on the game now 
so that is an option for me because there is a lot of just simple like resource collection get more wood get more metal get more whatever get more fruit get more wheat um and it's it's fine to do that but sometimes you want to just jump ahead a little bit and the zombies can be like a cool shortcut for that which is great so very good timing on that overall i really dig it a lot it's not something that i want to just sit down and play for like eight hours at a time like i'm kind of doing it in bed like one or two hours a night before i go to bed and it's probably going to take me like I mean, like 400 hours or something to like get through like all of this, the content, you know, but doing it a little bit uh, by a little bit is good. I will say, though, however, this is put out by Tiny Build Games and they've got a pretty spotty track record. Like they're OK, folks. I think they're good folks personally, um, but I think they've put out some stuff which is pretty sketchy. I'm not sure about their level of quality. Um, and with this game in particular, it's a little bit buggy. I've had a few weird things happen when I'm playing, like items will sometimes like shoot across the screen for no reason, or when I'm in a cutscene, like my character's head is like cut off and I can't see what's going on in the top <laughs> half of the screen. Nothing super huge, but there are parts to the design which I feel like are real traps, like real serious traps. And I don't think that they're intentional. I think it's a um, an oversight on the developer's part. Um, I can think of at least two sections where you might get yourself into a point at which you cannot recover and you have to start over. And I did hit one of those traps. Um, what happened was I was uh, building up my farm, building up my resources, everything was going along really well. And then I wanted to move my stuff around. So you can, you can place things on your farm wherever you want to place them. There's little spots where it's like, oh, you can put a, uh, a saw here, or you can put a bin here, or you can put a table here, or, you know, whatever. You can play house, just like any, any number of games where they let you put your furniture in places. That's a really fun, fun aspect of things. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's a bin that I have where I keep all my wood. And you need to have a wood bin because that's where you store your wood. And if you don't have wood in the wood bin, then you cannot do any of the woodworking that you need to do. So I'm like, no big deal. I'm going to destroy this wood bin. I'm going to move it to the other side of my farm. I'm going to put my saw over here. It's going to be good. I'm going to like the way this is laid out a little bit better. So I destroy the wood bin. And then I go to, I go to build it on the other side of the farm. And I'm like, oh, shit. I actually can't build this because it's way higher level than I am even though it's like a very basic like starting item like you literally cannot do any crafting without the wood bin but the game let me destroy it without giving me a warning and I cannot rebuild it so I basically lost 12 hours of progress because I got rid of that bin and I couldn't go forward uh, I emailed the developers and I'm like you got to be kidding me, right? Like, there's got to be a way to get the wood bin back because why would you do that? Because anybody who destroys this was going to fuck themselves like I just did. Um, they did not respond back, so I don't know what happened. I got tired <laughs> of waiting for them. I'm just like, fuck it. I started a new game. Now, ordinarily, that would be the end of it. I would I would throw that game in the garbage and move on. But I was really enjoying it. I was having a pretty good time. So I'm like, okay, fine. Um, that sucks. That's terrible design. Um, they need to fix that ASAP, but I'm going to go back and try again. And after I knew what I was doing and, you know, I knew what the first opening hours were, I was able to get all that progress back in like, you know, half the time at least. Like I got through it a lot faster, but still you shouldn't be able to fuck yourself like that. There's also one other part in the game where you need to give a sermon and a priest gives you a little piece of paper to read the sermon from. And if you get rid of that piece of paper, I don't believe there's a way to get it back until you level up a lot and you may be stuck. So that's like another potential like game over scenario that I think is probably too easy to fall into. I think the developers were not thinking that through efficiently enough and they should have given you an out to fix that. So heads up on those things. I think that's a design problem that needs to be fixed and you know it's a little bit buggy. 
But otherwise, I mean, I think at this point, if you count the hours that I lost in that first playthrough, I've probably been playing it for maybe at least 30 hours so far. And it's just really fun. It's really fun if you want a Harvest Moon that's a little bit creepy, a little bit gory, a little bit, um, you know, I don't know, gothic and kind of weird and uh, scary. It's very slight horror overtones to it. Uh, but it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. It's got some problems, but overall, I'm, I'm enjoying my time with it. And I would recommend it to people on the Switch who want that kind of a game, that kind of a big, time-intensive, detail-oriented game, but maybe are not too interested in the farming aspect of just like a Stardew Valley or a Harvest Moon. I think this adds a little bit more flavor. So I'm into it. I'm into it. Considering you lost all that progress and then picked it up and played it again, I feel like that alone says a lot about the perhaps either the quality of the game or your commitment to it or how fun it is because I'm shocked to be honest with you that you started the new game after you lost your progress from the the wood bench thing that you uh destroyed I'm not gonna say that I wasn't mad <laughs> I was definitely mad and I was definitely feeling like these developers were some rank ass amateurs for letting that be a possibility um that is the kind of like PC ass shit where like PC players will put up with that and will make fun of you for falling into that trap because you're too stupid <laughs> to figure it out. But that kind of shit doesn't fly in general on consoles. And I just think overall it's a really poor design. So I don't think they did it intentionally, but it's something that they must not have ever caught in playtesting. And I think it's a huge problem. And when I did an internet search, I was far from the only person who fell into that trap. I saw many people get into the exact same situation. Um, so they need to fix that. Uh, rough around the edges, like I said, a little buggy, but I think there's a coolness to it. It's a cool idea. There's a lot of depth to it. A lot of, there's a lot of humor to it. It's from someplace in Europe, I think, and that dark kind of like really cynical attitude seeps into like all the aspects of the writing and stuff. So if you like those kind of like European games where people feel like life is short and brutal and then it's over is kind of a, is kind of a theme that that theme is reflected here for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, any other game I wouldn't, I would have like I'd be on here like railing against it and trashing it and being angry at the developers. Um, and I think that, you know, they owe me an apology, but other than that, uh, I think it's a pretty good game and I, I am pushing forward and I do enjoy my time with it. So um, I may not talk about it again for a while, but I probably will be playing it for like the next couple months. Cause I can easily imagine wrapping this up at like December or something. Like it's, it seems like a pretty huge thing. So um, if I finish it, I'll come back and give you another update. Otherwise, I probably won't mention it again, but just know that I'm probably putting in a couple hours a night. This'll be like Fortnite, where you never talk about it again, and then at the end of the year, you're like, this is the game I played, I put the most hours in for the entire year. Totally. The Switch <laughs> Roundup, it'll be your your most played game this year, Graveyard Keeper, and we will have never talked about it. So, yeah, <laughs> for sure. For That's sure. funny. Um, so that's all I have to say about Graveyard Keeper. Um, so we have one more thing to move on to, and I think this is probably a good place to put up a spoiler warning. Corey, I'm going to let you start on this segment, uh, and because you're going to start, I will give the spoiler warning here. Folks, we're about to talk about the new Hitman 2 uh, New York bank level. Um, I don't know what the mission's called, but it's just the new DLC level that came out last week. It takes place in New York. It's in a bank. Um, it's hard to miss. It's the brand new big level. We're going to talk about every aspect of it. We're going to spoil how to solve it, spoil what the problems are, spoil the cool parts. We're going to spoil everything. So if you want to go in and play this Hitman level, which I strongly suggest you do, I'm sure Corey would agree with that, don't listen to this segment. Put it on pause. Come back here after you play the Hitman level, which I believe is a free add-on. I don't think they're charging any money for it. I think um, it's free for us because we have the gold edition of the game. The gold edition. Okay, so you may have to pay money for it, but if you bought the deluxe package... 
um, you will get this for free. Um, so go and play it. Go and play it and then come back and listen to us talk about it. And we are about to spoil the shit out of it right now. <laughs> this is your final warning. If you're on a bike, please pull over. Stop your audio device. If you're in a car, please push pause. If you're at home, click the pause because this is it. Okay, Corey, uh, spoiler warning is up. Why don't you take the lead on the new Hitman bank heist level? All right. Yes, I we talked about this briefly last week, but we will dive in right now. So... Um, like Brad said, Hitman 2, there's a new level. It is, takes place in a bank. Um, I was very excited whenever I saw that they announced that this was going to be the new thing because I feel like a bank... Like, I don't know if Hitman has ever had a bank heist before, but it also seems like a perfect no-brainer for, like, why would they have never done this before? So now they have. Um, like Brad said, it takes place in New York. It's in a bank. The entire... Some Hitman levels take place in one building, some Hitman levels take place in entire cities, and this is one of those building levels. So although it does take place in the bank, you do not exit the bank. You don't go out in the streets around it. You don't walk up to it. The entire level is just inside the bank itself. However, like most Hitman levels, it has several floors. It has several wings. It has a lot of different... Uh, levels of security people walking around like there's the bank tellers there's security guards there's it people there's high level security guards there's like stockbroker people um there there's a ton of people in the area i mean it basically if you know anything about hitman you know exactly what you expect from this kind of level um, i just kind of want to make it clear the boundaries of the level it is just in the bank itself and that's it there's no streets there's no city there's none of that no crowds or anything um, but the objective here is to get in, and the CEO of the bank, she is the target. Um, there's only one target in the level. I thought there was going to be more whenever I watched the briefing, but there's only one target. It's the CEO of the bank. She has an office that overlooks the lobby of the bank uh, and kind of like her um, top floor suite. And then you have to get a data vault, like hard drive piece, out of the vault in the basement of the bank or now pause for a second here, Corey. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, or you said there was one target, which I was also confused by, but let's clarify this real quick. Um, I only played through once, so maybe you've seen more than I have, but what happens, I know you're about to say this, I'm sorry, <laughs> off there, but, but if you do, if you do not get the big data deck and you do the other choice, which is getting three small hard drives, do you see those people as targets or do you not? I don't because you don't have to kill them to get their hard drives and the game does not assign you to kill them. Okay. 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 Yeah, but it is, but you can look at it that way because, um, yeah. So there, the second objective is to get these like bank records that are in the vault in the basement, like in this big secure vault. However, there's two ways to do it. You can either get that, or there's three people in the bank and the target is one of them. They all carry portable hard drives on them and you can collect those three hard drives because those three hard drives put all the data together that you would get from the vault anyway. So there's two ways to do the second one. Um, and you can kill the people if you want. I mean, like any Hitman level, you can kill every single person in the bank if you want to and get out of there. Or you can get in, kill the one target, um, rob the bank and then get out. Or you can knock out the other people that have the hard drives. Or you can kill them if you want, whatever. But the other two people who have the hard drives, they're not specifically noted as targets. So you can do whatever you want with them. Or you can just leave them alone. Um, it doesn't really matter. So, like any Hitman level, there's several ways to do this. Um, there's several 
I mean, you could, there's basically a, an unlimited number of routes you can go. The game has a bunch of challenges it poses to you. It also has uh, what they call mission stories, which if you turn those on, it kind of takes you step by step through how to complete different um, sort of like special ways to clear every mission. And just to be transparent about the way I play Hitman, and I've probably said this on the show like 10 times before, whenever I play a Hitman level for the first time, I turn off all of the notifications. I turn off the mission story notifications. I turn off the challenge notifications. Um, I don't let, I don't have the game put any waypoints for stuff for me. I figure it out all by myself. And I did that here with this mission. I did that twice. I played through once without any notifications. I started all the way over again and played through it a second time with zero notifications. And then my third time through, I turned on the mission stories and I started to play through each mission story because the mission stories for any hitman level they generally lead you through the level into a way where you end up face to face with the target or end up in a way where you can kill the target in sort of like a spectacle event um and so i did the mission stories after like on my third and i think i've played this like four or five times now um so brad how did you um approach it whenever you first did it um so i you know, we've talked about this before. If anybody remembers our Hitman extravaganza, I my my favorite way to play Hitman is just go in and just fucking do whatever I can do. Like, I don't like to follow the mission stories. I don't like to take any of the help the developers give. I like to just kind of um, stumble my way through and just see if I can find any openings or anything that seems like a likely avenue for me and kind of just power through. So that's, that's what I did this time. Um, with one exception, because I did feel like a normal Hitman would probably case the joint pretty well would have the map figured out, would probably get the blueprints to the place, would probably have picked out, um, you know, a good couple potential plans before going in there cold. And so at one point, I did stumble across a mission story where your handler comes in and says, oh, hey, 47, here's um, here's a piece of info. And so when that came in, I'm like, okay, yes, I'm going to take that piece of info because that to me makes sense. That's something that would actually happen if we were doing this for real. I wouldn't just come into it with, like, no knowledge whatsoever. Uh, but that was the only thing that I listened to. I didn't I didn't follow any of the other mission stories that popped up. I think I found two other stories. I think I stumbled across all of them, but I didn't follow any of them. And I just took that one little piece of advice from my handler um, and kind of just worked my way through. So we can talk about the specifics, but that's that was my general approach. Okay, perfect. All right. Yeah, I guess um, I did kind of forget that you're kind of a fly by the seat of your pants hitman and i'm totally like the totally plan everything to a t and save and reload eight thousand times hitman <laughs> yeah something about just that moment to moment like barely squeaking by and ducking into a closet and oh i guess i got to kill this guy now oops oh well that kind of a thing is really fun <laughs> really 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 fun to me so yeah i think we're on the opposite ends of the hitman spectrum but i think we both love it equally in our own special way so you tell me about your first way that you beat it, and then I'll tell you about my first way that I beat it. I only beat it once, though. And then you can tell us uh, tell us the rest, and we'll, we'll talk about the end of it. All right, perfect. So whenever I played through it the first time, um, I tried to case the area as much as I can, but it's pretty... Uh, like, you can't really go a whole lot of places whenever you first load the level. Like, you have... The, the lobby is obviously open to everybody because it is the lobby. And then pretty much anywhere else you want to go, you can't really go without security checking you or security stopping you or, you know, you trespassing outright. So I was walking around the lobby and trying to figure out what the fuck to do. And I went back to... There's, like, a woman standing in the back corner and... 
um, a guy walks up to her and he's like, hey, you're that reporter. This is not verbatim, but he's like, hey, you're that reporter that broke the what such and such story for that website, aren't you? And she's like, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, no, you look just like her. What, how You wrote the story. And she's like, no, you have me confused with somebody else. And then he walks away, and obviously she is the reporter. So she, like, gets on the phone with, I don't know, her, like, editor or something, and is talking to to the editor about some, like, report that she's, that someone is, she's waiting on someone to deliver her that works in the bank. And so, although I didn't have my mission stories turned on, I sort of, like, knew that that was going to be something that I could follow up with in the game. Same, same. I stumbled on that one, too, yeah. Yeah, and so, and, but I didn't follow up on it immediately because I couldn't figure out where the hell to go. But it turns out you can walk up to one of the windows in the lobby of the bank and, you can request a private meeting with one of the bank tellers. Did you do this? No, I don't. I see. This is why Hitman's amazing because I, <laughs> I ended up doing part of this story just naturally, but I totally did not do that at all. So please tell me about your part and then I'll tell you about my part. All right. So I walk up, there's just like a guy sitting in a teller booth and you walk up and there's a button prompt to um, request a private meeting that so, is hilarious. I never even thought to do that. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's pretty easy. Like, something that's a minor complaint for me about this uh, stage is that I feel like it is a little bit too easy and a little less intricate. But also for Hitman players who maybe don't like giant-ass intricate levels, this might be a perfect, like, touchstone for them. Um, but you walk up and 47's like, oh, I'd like to open a big account, and then... The guy, of course, the guy's like, oh, well, what industry do you work in? And Agent 47 goes, I work in retirement. And, of course, it's, like, hilarious because he kills people. So, And, the- and this <laughs> is a funny fucking episode, by the way. There is a lot of comedy in this one. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I feel like the there's a lot of unsung heroism with how funny a lot of just, like, the conversations you hear people say in the environment in Hitman are, and it's not, it's like nothing like, yeah, not even like cut scenes or it's just like this stupid stuff that you overhear people saying. And that's something that runs through both (laughs) Hitman 2016 and Hitman two. Um, but you request a, I requested a private meeting with the guy. He comes out from behind the booth and he takes you into this like glass cubicle thing. And of course the glass cubicle thing has like a privacy button. So he presses the button and all of the windows like, fog up or they like go solid so you can't see through them and he even says something he's like oh let me just activate this privacy setting so nobody can see or hear us and i'm like all right you're you're going down dude like you don't even know what you're getting yourself into and so he's like on the computer we're talking about bank shit and of course i try not to kill people if i can help it so i like choke him out and of course there's a fucking closet in there to store bodies in because of course there is so I choke out the bank teller dude. Um, I put his outfit on. He has a janitor's key on him. I pick up the key. I store his body in the thing. And then that gives me, I mean, it doesn't give me free reign in the bank, but it gives me a pretty big free reign in the bank. And then I go into the area where he was, his teller's desk is, and I find a key for a safety deposit box in the area. Were you wearing the teller's outfit at that time? Yes, I was. Did anybody notice you in the teller box? Like, did they did they sniff you out? There, I think there's one or two people that can see through your disguise, but I just kind of, like, dodged them a little bit, or they were, like, looking in one direction, and I walked behind them okay. or something. So you have okay. to be a little bit careful, but um, I was uh, trying to be careful about it. So I ended up getting out of there with, you know, unscathed, and I pick up the safety deposit box key, and I thought, okay, well, there obviously must be safety deposit boxes somewhere. So... I went down a staircase. There was a security guy that was trying helplessly to flirt with some janitor chick. 
Um, I turn on a copy machine. The security guard comes over to investigate the copy machine going off. I choke him out. I put his body in a closet. I didn't put his security outfit on, but I kept it there just in case I would need it in the future. And then I go to the safety deposit box area, and lo and behold, one of the keys for the safety deposit box that I got opens up a box that has the report that the reporter lady upstairs needed. So I take the report up there, and I give it to her, and she immediately calls her editor dude and talks about how, like, the stock market's going to crash, and it's going to be a big deal or something. And then, as you would expect, the stock market crashes. There's, like, a stock market area in the bank, and... Whenever the stock market crashes, it gets the CEO lady to come out of her office and she goes into the stock area. And so I go upstairs and I'm like in the stock market area, like looking at her while she's like screaming at the stock market screen. And then I just very serendipitously, like I didn't even plan this at all. I go into this like room on the second floor that sort of like overlooks, it's like a balcony that overlooks the lobby and I'm just like waiting in this room to see what she's going to do. And then she comes in the room by herself. Her security guard stands outside the room. And I'm like, okay, she and I are in this room together. <laughs> We're both alone. I guess I got to kill her now. So I think I just like snapped her neck or something right there. And then I put her body in the closet. The dicey thing was that her security officer was standing right outside the room. And it was the only exit to get outside the room. So I like am standing, I'm pressed up against, I open the door and then I take cover against the wall right next to the door. The security guard sees the door open and he comes into the room to like see what's going on. He walks in the room, does not see me, and I immediately choke him out and put him in the same closet that her body's in. I take his outfit because he's like a high security guard outfit. I take his outfit. Um, I end up exploring the bank a bunch, but I ended up going downstairs to where the vault is because I got a key card from him or from her for the vault. And there's like a security office that's right outside the vault and it has windows so you can't um, you can't cloud the windows up and one of the security guards in the room can see through your high security disguise. So I go in, there's two rooms and one of the guys is viewing monitors. So I choke him out because he's the only guy in the room. I put his body in a closet. That room has the evidence deletion on it. So I delete all the security evidence tapes right there. Um, and then there's a note somewhere about the ventilation system in the security booth not working correctly. And of course, right outside the security office, there's a little like locker on the wall. And when you open the locker, there's a fucking jar of like chloroform solution in there because of course there is. And so I walk out into like this garage area where like a security car is parked and I put the chloroform into... Um, like the ventilation duct thing. And then I go back to the security office. I turn it on. It starts turning the AC on in the room, but of course it distributes all the chloroform in there. So it knocks out all the security dudes. And then I go in there. I pick up a security uh, card. I unlock the button that unlocks the vault. I go in the vault. I steal the, um, the hard drive thingy. And I had picked up a key, uh, an armored car key from somebody who was in the security deposit box area earlier and the armored car key is in there, or the armored car is in the garage right outside the security office. So I pick up the, the hard drive thing, I walk out, I get in the armored car, and I drive right out of the bank and completed the mission. Interesting. I'm kind of giggling to myself like crazy here. Um, just as a side note, I did get a note passed to me by staff here in the Game Critics West studios. 
Um, I will need to wrap this up shortly, and I have something okay. that's going on in real life. So I'll give you my my scoop, and then we'll bail here. Um, this is hilarious to me. This is hilarious to me because it shows how differently our brains work when it comes to Hitman. <laughs> um, because I came across the reporter who was like wanting the scoop, and I'm like, okay, that's going on. I didn't know what was going on with the rest of the level, but I, I, you know, I knocked out a, a, a series of people. I would often corner somebody in the bathroom and like steal their outfit and I would see how far that could get me. I found like a janitor that got me pretty far initially. Um, I, I got a security guard alone in the bathroom at one point. Um, at one point I found two security guards in a small room and I would like threw a crowbar in, knocked one out and choked the other one out. And then I had them both. <laughs> and then I, you know, I had their, they had their outfit. And so I was wondering, I was just like, you know, just stumbling around, just kind of seeing where I could go. Um, I eventually found the person who was trying to give the data to the reporter, but she was on her phone in a kitchen and she's like, Oh my God, I'm totally like a whistleblower and I'm peeing my pants because this is like stressing me out. I left my key <laughs> on my desk and I got to go back down there and get it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So the key's on the desk. All right, fine. So like, I grabbed somebody's teller outfit. I think I caught them in the bathroom too. And I, uh, I had rat poison also. So like you put something in somebody's water and they start puking in the bathroom so you can follow them in there. And I ran down, got the key, went down to the, uh, vault and I opened that up, but it's funny because I got the documents and I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is not what I needed. And then I kind of forgot about the reporter. So I'm like, whatevs. And I just like (laughs) stuck in my pocket and like kept cruising. Um, so I went in there. I kind of did the same thing with you did about the vault. I found a high security guard. That was what my handler tipped me off to. She's like, once I got to the vault, she's like, Oh, 47, you're going to need a high security vault disguise to get in there. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like we would know about that. Like that I'll take this tip. She tells you where a high security guard is, although there's many around. Um, I get that guy, get his suit, come down there. I go inside the room that has the security guards in it. And like the first guy, like, everybody's looking in different directions, right? So I choke out the first guy. I throw, like, a brick at, like, the second guy's head. I choke out the second guy, and I choke out the third guy. And, like, nobody knows. Like, I did it all in the proper order. So I've got, like, four four unconscious dudes, like, stacked up, right? I get the, the, the key card. I go inside. I get the data disk. But it's, like, you can't carry it anywhere because it's obvious. It's big. It's huge. It's beeping. And, like, any guard in the, in the place will grab you. So I'm, like, okay, I still got to kill the lady. That's fine. I did not find the stock market thing. That's awesome. I wish I would have done that. I didn't know that. I found her on the top floor, but she's like in a busy office. There's like four guards in her room. There's like guards outside. There's like a receptionist. I had no fucking idea how to get in there, right? So I'm dressed up in, I think, the high security guard outfit. I walk around to the side door. I walk in and I immediately get the warning that like you're about to be spotted. And so I duck down and like they don't see me because I'm hiding behind a, a, a chair or something. And so I wait till they're all looking. I like scooch around to the other side of the room. (laughs) I fucking uh, threw a knife at the lady's head while she's surrounded by guards. I killed her. And then I threw a flash grenade into the middle of it. So like as soon as the guards see that she's dead, the flash grenade goes off and everybody's blinded. That's so smart. I I fucking book it out the door and nobody (laughs) saw me. So like I run out the door and I start running downstairs and I'm like, all right, whatever. So I get the I go back to where I left the data disk. And then all the exits start showing up. And like, this is the one, this is the one area where I got to call bullshit is like every exit was like locked. There's like four exits total. One of them is through the front doors. You can't go that way because every guard in the place is going to see you. But the door to the garage is locked. There's an exit, uh, fire escape exit or something that's locked. And there's like one other door that's locked. And I'm like, dude, I have a crowbar. I have a lock pick. I'm strong. I have a gun. Like I should be able to open one of these doors. I could not find the key to the um, emergency fire escape exit. I could not find the key to the car in the garage. I found the car and I'm like, oh my God, I got to find, I, what is going on? 
And so I start thinking about it. I'm like, okay, well, obviously these guys are like security guards for an armored car. They have a different uh, different suit. They're probably the guys that are in the vault. I go back to the vault. I knock out like three guys. None of them has the fucking key. And oh I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? <laughs> Where's this fucking key? I start walking around, walking around. And then I notice that the one, the one guard who's off in another room is sleeping. I'm like, okay, he's like the last guy. He's got to have the key. I knock him out. He, of course he has the key, like the very last guy that I knock out. So like I grab him, his key, and then I run down to the garage and I get out and then boom, I'm done. I felt like that was bullshit because I felt like there should have been way more accessible exits for you to get out. I did not feel like it should be that hard to get out of the bank. Um, especially like if there's a fire escape, those are always like, you cannot lock those, uh, because they're to get out in an emergency or like at the garage, he could have just push the button in the door could open and he could have walked out. So that part was frustrating, but otherwise I thought this was um, a pretty funny, pretty funny um, mission. Uh, really interesting. A little bit confusing because I felt like the hallways and, and rooms kind of looked the same and I was losing my bearings a little bit more than I usually do. Um, but there's one point where you uh, dress up like a job interviewer and you can go into a job interview. Did you do that one? I did that one, but I didn't realize that there's like a right and wrong way to answer the questions. So when I finished it, they were like, all right, here's your entry level position. You can get on the ground on the first floor and that's it. But apparently you can get like complete access to the bank if you answer the questions correctly. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So when I, when I passed, when I finished their exam, I got access to the f ground first and second floor. I didn't get the whole thing, but I got a lot of it. So by doing that interview, I got pretty free reign to a lot of the building. And it, 47's responses to those, um, they give him a Rorschach test, and his responses <laughs> are fucking gold. There's one blot that looks exactly like 47 with dual pistols, and I'm like, oh my god, like, I gotta pick that one. <laughs> and his shit, the, the shit that he says is, like, so fucking funny. So, anyway, um, I, got, I got a little bit of a time crunch here. I thought, overall, this was a really fun level. Um, I liked it. And there's other opportunities that I really want to go back to try. I found some bank robbers in a bathroom that I wasn't able to do anything with. Um, I, was, I would like to go back and do some of the stories. And there's a side story about a guy who gets fired because his sweaters are totally horrible. And I really want to, like, finish that story. <laughs> uh, um, I did that one Hitman last is, night. is funny as shit. So I got to roll. But let's any last highlights from you, Corey? Um, I don't think so. We'll keep it short because I know you got to go, but uh, maybe we can, if you finish some more of the missions, maybe we can touch base about this again next week and discuss it a little bit extra. Um, I would, I would like to, cause I want to talk about the new sniper mission that was added or new to me anyway. And I think there's a couple good jokes left to be had in this bank mission. So <laughs> let's put a pin in it. Let's wrap it up and we'll come back. And folks, I apologize. I, I thought that I might have to leave, uh, soon. I was hoping that I wouldn't, but I do. So we do have to wrap it up a little bit soon. So pardon the abrupt ending here. All right, well, that's all good. we still got plenty of games in, and keep in mind there's banter after the show, everybody. So, But um, in order to get Brad out of here, um, he's got uh, some work to do. Um, that brings us to the end of this show. Remember, you can stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter. Um, I talk about going to San Francisco. Uh, Brad talks about going to Pride in Seattle. We both talk about movies. Um, but if you don't want to hear that, you can bail now, and we will catch you next week. Uh, in the meantime, you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, any games you want us to play, any ideas or anything like that to the show in a multitude of ways. The first way is by email. You can email us at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Game Critics website whenever every show goes live there. You can also find us on Twitter. We are on Twitter as a collective show, at sovideogames. And you can also reach us individually on Twitter. Brad, would you like to give out your social media handles? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram. It's my name. It's B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Excellent. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, and my handles are also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And that's the end of episode 138. Brad, do you have anything to wrap up before we close out? No, that's it. That's it. I am sorry I have to go uh, because, boy, I, I was laughing. I mean... I think that Hitman is such a great title and is so rich to discuss. I really want, I, we're going to come back to this. We're going to go back to this. I want to talk about this some more. Uh, right. So please accept my apologies, folks, and we will catch up with you next week. Excellent. Yes. But that brings us, we'll, we'll revisit this, uh, but that is the, epi- the end of episode 138. But until next time, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you then. again feels like we barely made it this week because this has been a crazy <laughs> week but i'm glad we found some time thank you for being flexible sir of course i uh feels like i mean probably because i've been out of town it feels like it's been about 500 years approximately since the last time we sat down and talked yeah the last time we recorded a podcast it was with a chisel on a slab of stone so it's been a while <laughs> <laughs> so dude you just got back from uh san francisco for pride i mean i did some pride stuff too but i think yours is probably the bigger story so tell us about your trip um, yes, I did. I was out of town for several days, actually. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Uh, we flew out Thursday night and didn't get to San Francisco until, I don't even know, it was like 10 p.m. or something. So we didn't really do anything like the Thursday night that we got there. And uh, Patrick and I flew out, and his cousin lives there. Um, his, I believe it's his mom's sister's son, um, who's uh, just a little bit older than us. He's like 35. Four, I think, or 35, so just like a tiny bit older. Um, and he has been living out there for, I think like, gosh, I, I always want, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, he's been out there for like a year or two, but I really think he's been out there for like close to maybe five years or so. Yeah, time goes by <laughs> quickly, man, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so, and I'm kind of surprised we had never been out there before to uh, visit him, but, you know, first time for everything. So we flew out, um, got there on Thursday night. He picked us up from the airport, we stayed, he lives with one of his friends, um, I don't really know, it's in like the Golden Gate District area, I don't really know like the neighborhoods that well, but I was trying to like kind of piece it together um, while I was there via Google Maps the entire time, and we got there, um, and we did a lot of really fun stuff, I mean, the like Pride, like the big Pride stuff didn't really happen until kind of like Saturday and Sunday, Sunday was kind of like the big, sort of like where you're in like this they have the streets blocked off around city hall and it's just kind of like you know you go in you didn't have to pay or anything so that was nice but we did go to this like vip party that was inside city hall um so that was pretty cool because it was like a bunch of um like they had a bunch of food tables set out and they had a few bars in there and there was like a dance floor and there were a bunch of people in the middle of city hall on the stairs doing different kinds of performance and stuff like they had choirs there and they had like dance troops and everything so you could just kind of wander around and after you paid for the ticket you didn't have to pay for like the individual food that you bought or the drinks that you got you just kind of like walked around and got whatever you wanted so that was pretty cool um but on friday so on friday we went to um 
let's see, what did we do on Friday? We went to the Castro District, which is like the gay district in San Francisco that has the Castro Theater and like the Rainbow Crosswalk area. And the funny thing for me is we got there and I felt like such a dork because I the only stuff I could relate that to um, was like play seeing it and whenever I played Watch Dogs 2 because the Castro District is in Watch Dogs 2. So like every time we went somewhere and I like recognized it from Watch Dogs, I would be like, oh, this is in Watch Dogs 2. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and so I felt like such... A dork because like it, now I got to see it in real life. Um, but on Friday night we went to an underwear party, um, which is something that I wasn't sure that I wanted to do, but I ended up going because a I didn't really have anything better to do, and b like if you have an invitation to go to an underwear party, like that's kind. Of, I mean, it's not a once in a lifetime thing, but it's like a once in a great while kind of thing. So, did, I did they tell you up front like what? the protocol was where they, I mean, underwear party could be like, I guess a lot of things Were they like, was there like a little, a note card with rules attached to it? Or how did you, how did you know what was going to go down? Um, I did not know. I think that, uh, Patrick's cousin sort of knew the protocol because apparently the, um, the, it was in like the Folsom area that had that there's like some kind of like warehouse bar that was hosting it. And apparently they do a lot of like every month they do kind of like one big themed party. So this isn't really out of the ordinary for them, but it just happened to fall on Pride weekend. And the way that we did it, and I think the way that pretty much everybody did it, is you just go in. I mean, you wear like your normal clothes in. Because I was wondering like, okay, are we going to have to like get on the Muni bus or, you know, and like go downtown in our underwear? Like, how is this going to work? But you just wear your regular clothes and then you have, you know, whatever like sexy or not sexy underwear you want on underneath them, obviously. And then you like go in and you had to buy, I think, a ticket in advance and they had, you know, like a guest list and everything. So you go in, you get your name checked off and then they have sort of like a coat check. But as you might imagine, instead of checking your coat, you basically check all of your clothes. clothes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you go in and. Um, and you know, it's kind of funny cause like you, everybody was kind of lined up cause we got there maybe about an hour after it started or so. Um, and so by the time we got there, it was just like, I, I literally think it was all men. Like I didn't see a single woman there. I don't know if they have rules about like, can women go, but it was, like, I was, I was just going to ask you if it was mixed or if it was a dude's thing. Yeah. I, I don't know what their rules are, but I can only tell you that I did not see a single like female presenting person the entire time I was there. It all appeared to be, um, cisgender men or, um, very male presenting people. Um, I also didn't, you know, see every single person there, but from what I could tell, I didn't see a single like, you know, female presenting person, while I was there, I don't know if they have rules against that or whatever, but that's just what I saw. And so you go in and there's like, you know, a bunch of dudes just like standing around in their underwear. And, you know, some of the underwear, because it was like a pride thing and it's obviously like a gay club. So a lot of the underwear is like very flimsy, you know, just like uh, a thong with a pouch for your junk and, you know, that kind of stuff. And some people had like <laughs> harnesses on and, you know, it's junk just like there's pouch, a lot of... The, it, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, any anything goes. So, um, and then you, like, stand in line to check your clothes, and you're basically, it's just, like, a line of people basically just, like, taking off their clothes while they're in line, because you kind of have to be ready when you get up there, and they put all your stuff in a plastic bag, and they hand you, like, you know, your card to, to get it later, and then they must have some kind of filing system behind the desk where they put everything away in, like, cubes or something. 
sure. And like, sure. it sounds like maybe this would be a really scandalous affair. Like I thought, you know, oh my God, what is this going to be? Is it just going to be like a giant orgy? Is it going to be like a bunch of dudes just like making out and like fondling each other because they're just wearing underwear all over the dance floor? Because it was just like a regular club. They had like three different bars. They had a bunch of loud music. You know, they had laser lights. It was kind of a little bit foggy here and there. Um, but the only difference is that everybody was in their underwear and it was just kind of funny because like I met people that night, like in our underwear and I was wearing like kind of like a onesie kind of thing. So I was very conservatively dressed for this. I had like a one piece thing that had like, it was, had no sleeves and it like buttoned all the way down the front, but I had it mostly unbuttoned cause I didn't want to just wear underwear cause I didn't even... I was kind of iffy on going in the first place and I sure as hell wasn't going to show up in some like skimpy underwear. And plus like, I'm a very like practical underwear person. And I know we've talked about this on the show before. So I don't really have a lot of like really like skimpy underwear. I usually wear just like athletic boxer briefs because they're very functional and they feel nice and they just work. And like most of the people there were wearing pretty like scandalous underwear. Um, I mean, there were some boxers here and there and just some regular boxer briefs every once in a while, but it was mostly like very gay themed, you know, skimpy underwear. But like I met people that night, um, friends of Patrick's cousin, and it's, you know, slightly awkward because you're meeting people in your underwear. And then, you know, two days later you see them again and, it, and then they're fully dressed and you're like, oh, you're that guy that I met while we were all standing around in our underwear the other night. Like what a, what an interesting way to meet somebody whenever you're basically just wearing like a dick pouch and that's it. And then, <laughs> you know, two days later you meet someone and then suddenly you see them in, you know, a t-shirt and jeans and everything. Uh, but it was it was okay. Like it was uh, it was a little overwhelming for me. Um, sometimes whenever I'm in situations like that, maybe I've talked about this before on the show. I will just kind of like I, I'm gonna say shut down, but I don't mean like shut down, shut down. I just kind of like I don't know, like get quiet, and I just kind of like observe my surroundings, and I'm not super outgoing, and that's kind of what happened that night. I mean, you're in a room full of like sweaty dudes in underwear in San Francisco Pride. There was just like a lot happening, and Every once in a while, I'd be standing there trying to, you know, enjoy my rum and coke. And then, like, some dude would come out of nowhere and try to squeeze by me. And his sweaty chest and stomach would slide across my arm. And it was like a cold sweat. And it was so gross. And it didn't happen often, thank goodness, because we weren't packed like sardines. But it was just like... Every once in a while, some dude would bump into me, and then, like, my entire arm would just be covered in their, like, gross, cold sweat. Uh, and it was, it was it was really nasty. really disgusting. <laughs> that sounds gross. It was, uh, it was pretty gross. But, um, yeah, I did that. Um, and then, I mean, for the rest of the weekend, just pretty much did Pride stuff. Went to Castro District a few times, um, rode the Muni, which is, like, their transportation system. For some reason, whenever I thought about... San Francisco, I didn't really put together that they would have, like, an underground train system like New York or, like, other places. Um, I didn't think I even knew they had one. Yeah, they do. They have, like, BART, which is their bus system, which I never took a BART bus. And then they have the Muni, which is, like, some of it is above ground. It's, like, the trams that run above ground, but they do go underground, too. And a lot of the stations we went to, you boarded them underground. And I, for some reason, just, like, didn't think that was a thing because like when you think about new york like of course you think about the subway and of course you think about going you know down to the subway stations but i just didn't really think about that for san francisco but i mean that's totally a thing there i don't know i guess it's just me being naive and not being well traveled but i mean i took the muni a few times and luckily the muni is really easy to ride 
And um, I had made some time to go to a skate park while I was there, and I photographed some skateboarders at a skate park, and I was too nervous to go up and introduce myself because I'm that way around people, um, even though I got a few good shots. And I don't know, it was like a pretty successful weekend. Like, um, Patrick's cousin was a very good host for us. We, he either drove us where we wanted to go, or we just took, you know, the subway and the Muni buses and everything. Um, went to a bunch of different bars, went to a lot of pretty classic, like, gay San Francisco areas. Like, we were in the Castro a lot. We went to Hamburger Mary's, which is a pretty mediocre restaurant, and they exist outside of San Francisco, but it basically their draw is that all of their, a lot of their wait staff there are, like, drag queens, so they're in, like, full queen regalia while they're, like, serving you your hamburger and fries, you know, and your Bloody Mary and everything, which is a pretty neat experience, um... And it, I don't know, we went to like, you know, some clothing shops that were very, uh, pop, a lot populated with, you know, very skimpy, like gay men's clothing, like, you know, a lot of like see-through tank tops and a lot of skimpy underwear. And, um, but, you know, they had regular stuff, just regular t-shirts and shoes in the back. And, you know, we went in a few porn shops that had, you know, giant dildos and, you know, all this stuff, you know, every kind of lube you could ever want to buy, um, so yeah, there was just, uh, you know, there was a lot going on and Pride itself was neat. Um, you know, just seeing how many people were out and how like multicultural the area was, was really nice and how sort of, um, you know, just kind of like easygoing and accepting it seemed like everything was. And I feel like the entire time I was on the trip, just because we spent so much time in the Castro district and at like the Pride Festival itself, like I just like to imagine that I did not see a single straight person the entire time I was there. And I know that's not true, but it just seemed like everyone was gay. Like everyone was gay or bi or maybe like pansexual or, you know, whatever. And I, it was just weird to be in a scenario where it felt like everyone around you was part of the exact same community that you are, you know, coming from sort of like a marginalized group like I am as, you know, a gay person. It, it felt strange, but it also felt nice because you could just kind of like go about your business didn't really have to worry about like you know I don't know being like assaulted in public because you're gay or whatever like you know it's kind of sad that those are the things you have to worry about um but it was just cool like and no matter what you were wearing even if it was like the middle of the afternoon on a Friday like you would not be the most ridiculous looking person out on the streets like there were people wearing I mean there were nudists first of all so I saw a lot of people with just their junk out you know which is neither here nor there I suppose um and there were people wearing like thongs and crop tops just like in the middle of the day and it, I don't know I was like I had one of those situations where I worry about like oh if I put some eyeshadow on oh, I'm probably gonna look pretty ridiculous right and then I go out and I'm like the least ridiculous looking person on the streets so it's just a kind of a nice reminder that like I don't know, there are big spaces like that where everyone can kind of just exist however they want and everybody's just doing their business and not really caring about your sexuality or the way you present yourself or anything like that. You just get to like go out into the world as who you are and then live your life and that's that. Yeah, I was going to ask, oh, I had a couple questions, but I was going to ask you like if you did feel, I mean, you kind of covered it already, but like just the vibe of being there and like, did you feel... I mean, I assume you've probably been to Pride celebrations before, and I, I assume this one probably felt a lot different, probably just because of the scale or maybe where you were. But, I mean, did you really feel like, you know, like you were, like, going to, like, the gay mecca, or did it feel somehow <laughs> different or more significant in some way? Like, was this some kind of a, I hesitate to say spiritual journey, but, like, you know, did, you, did it feel like a bigger deal? 
Um, it, I don't know if it, I think when you said scale, that's really what kind of does it because a lot of pride stuff I've been to before, whether it's been in New Orleans, cause New Orleans has really big pride stuff going on here too. Um, uh, like whether it's, you know, here in New Orleans or whether it was in, you know, kind of smaller stuff in Omaha, or, cause I haven't really lived in that many like big cities. Um, they all kind of feel similar, but I think just the sheer scale of, the of what was going on in San Francisco kind of made a difference, especially because they have, you know, the entire Castro district, which is like several blocks of this area that, you know, it's not just gay during June, like it's gay all the time, like gay people are there all the time. It's got gay bars everywhere. And so it's nice to have like, sort of just like that space that is sort of dedicated year round to just being like a gay space. And not only is it a gay space, it's a very large gay space. Cause even like, you know, there's some gay parts of New Orleans where there's like a strip of gay bars or whatever. But I mean, you're talking about maybe a block, you know, maybe like a corner of a block of gay bars. Like I haven't, you know, sat down and geographically mapped out every gay bar in New Orleans, but whenever I'm downtown here, you know, there, there's a lot, but it's not, like, several blocks of stuff. It's just kind of, like, maybe one or two. So just, like, the scale of everything in San Francisco just felt um, just felt great. You know, it's, it's weird that, you know, the earth is so huge, and yet in these big cities we only have, like, X amount of sort of space that's specifically designated for, like, the LGBTQ community. Um, and I guess it just goes to show that maybe we could make that space bigger. Um, I don't know, but it felt nice being in San Francisco because the space was big and it just felt nice being able to be there surrounded by so many people who, you know, are just not your average, just like cisgendered straight people that you kind of run into on a daily basis or maybe you think you run into on a daily basis. Um, it was just nice to be in a space where everybody was just a little bit different, I guess, you know, where and maybe a little bit less caring about what your deal was, you know, like everybody was just kind of living their life and being themselves. And it was nice to see that like constantly the entire time I was there. Interesting. Interesting. Um, the second question that I had is I'm sure that everyone who listens to our banter section is dying to know, uh, <laughs> what shirt did you go with? Did you go with the, uh, skateboard shirt or did you go with the <laughs> rainbow mesh shirt? Well, I know I made a huge deal last week about trying to decide what shirt I wanted to buy. And truth be told, here here's what happened. I did not buy anything in New Orleans before I left. I had talked about going to H&M and buying the rainbow shirt. I had talked about going to the skate shop and buying their gay shirt. Um, I think time just got away from me because I, I had a lot of stuff to do um, the day that we were leaving. And so I didn't end up buying anything here. And I kind of thought, okay, well, I'll just wait till we get there. And then maybe I'll buy something there. And truth be told, I had opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to buy clothes there. Because when we went to the Castro District, we went the first time before a lot of like big pride stuff was happening. And we went in probably maybe three or four stores that, you know, were largely populated by sort of gay clothing. And that's a weird thing to say. But, you know, just like rainbow mesh tank tops or t-shirts that had kind of, you know, silly sayings on them that were kind of uh, geared toward the gay community. But every time we went in one of those stores, I liked some of the stuff in them. You know, there were like some tank tops that I liked and there were some t-shirts that I liked, but everything was so goddamn expensive. I didn't want to buy anything because I knew, okay, here's this tank top I like. It's rainbow mesh or whatever. And then the tank top would be like $50. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to wear this like once or maybe once a year and I'm not going to pay you $50 to buy this. You know, it's not even a full shirt. It's like a goddamn tank top. I'm not going to pay this much money for it because that's how I think of, 
a lot of things in life. Like I just can't bring myself to spend a lot of money on certain things. And because I already have so much clothing, it takes kind of like a special piece of clothing in order for me to spend any or a lot of money on it. And everything I saw when I was there, it was just too expensive. And I knew that I would only wear it like once a year or, you know, on certain occasions. So I did not buy anything. I pretty much just wore black t-shirts, dark gray t-shirts, or I've got a couple of like these burgundy, like kind of wide scoop neck shirts that I had from H&M. And I wore those pretty much the entire time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, did Patrick have a good time? What was his thoughts on the whole thing? Um, I think he did. The funny thing is we haven't even really like, like uh, sort of like decompressed or anything about it. Um, because we kind of got back, we got back really, really late on Tuesday, like on Monday night into Tuesday morning, our flight didn't even touch down here until, God, it was like two o'clock in the morning or something. So our flight touched down, we didn't get home until about 2.30 or so. Um, I stayed up for about an hour and then went to bed. And then Patrick went to bed like as soon as we got, I think he took a shower and immediately went to bed because he had to work the next day. I took Tuesday off. Um, so like he worked on Tuesday and I was just kind of hanging around on Tuesday and then he went out with some friends on Tuesday night and I, we haven't even really like seen each other that much since we got back. So I haven't, we haven't really been able to sit down and be like, okay, well, what did you think of this? What did you think of that? I mean, I generally think that we both had a pretty comparable time. Um, he might've had a little bit more fun than I did because um, his cousin was there and obviously he has a stronger relationship with his cousin than I do, um, you know, cause they like grew up together in a sense, but um, yeah, we haven't really, like, talked about it, oddly enough. We just kind of went and came back and then immediately got so busy that we haven't really had time to, like, sit down and discuss it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, sounds like a good trip. Sounds like a good trip. You glad you went? I am. I'm glad I got to go. I'm glad I got... I, like I said on the last show, it was my first time in California, so just being in California um, was pretty cool. Um, seeing just, like, the overall geography there and, like, the weather. The weather in California was so weird because, like, in the sun... I'm like, I would, my back would be sweating and I would be disgusting and I would feel gross. And then like the second you step into a shadow, you're like freezing your ass off. It's like the weirdest like weather co-op there. Um, but the geography was really cool. Like I hadn't, I had kind of forgotten about how like San Francisco is so hilly and how like the hills are really steep. I mean, it's similar to Seattle in some regards where there's just like really steep hills everywhere and like business areas and residential areas. So seeing, um, just like the geography and the housing and like we went to the Golden Gate Bridge and I got to take pictures of that. So that was really cool. Um, just like kind of experiencing it was really great. But I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Like the first time I went to Seattle where like I only like barely scratched the surface of what all I could do there. And like with Seattle, I've come back since. Like I've been there, I think, just twice. So the second time I feel like I really got to dive a little bit deeper into Seattle. So hopefully I'll go back to San Francisco at some point and really be able to kind of make that second impression too and kind of dive a little bit deeper there as well and kind of explore some new things. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it was pride weekend here as well. And my family and I took part in that. My wife, her agency, uh, had a table, which was on Broadway, which is kind of the main drag of Seattle's Capitol Hill gay neighborhood, probably the, the analog of the Castro, although I'm sure much smaller. Uh, so we went down there and in the morning before we did the table, um, 
we went to uh, this park. It's called Cal Anderson Park. It's a very famous park in Seattle, and they had a bunch of uh, they had a stage, and they had a bunch of tables and displays, and people kind of just walking around the park. Uh, and they had a drag queen who was doing drag story time for the kids because on Pride weekend in the morning they do family oriented things because um, a lot of gay people got kids out here. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, gay and trans and, you know, other type of, you know, non-standard nuclear families. And so there's a lot of family activities for them. So there's tons of kids out, tons of parents, you know, moms and moms, dads and dads, uh, you know, trans people. I mean, all sorts of all sorts of mixes, all sorts of couples, all sorts of groupings, et cetera, et cetera. And it was all just cool and chill and everybody was getting along really well. Um, so we took my son to go see Drag Storytime, which was really fun. Uh, the drag queen, I think her name was... Alexa Manila, I'm pretty sure. And she was fabulous, of course. And she read a couple different books that were all super positive about, you know, accepting people for who they are and, and celebrating differences. And that was really good. And then um, it just so happened uh, that Jeremiah Breton from the uh, Game Bar podcast, who we just uh, poured 40 out for in the last episode, <laughs> uh, was up there. Uh, walking around doing stuff so they came up uh, Jeremiah and his partner came up and then one of the people who was formerly on the podcast would happen to be there as well uh, and that was the first time I met them so that was really exciting so we hung out for a little bit got some pizza and just kind of chilled walked around that was really fun and then uh, we went to my wife's table and it was just like crazy like the entire Broadway which is like one of the big streets in Seattle like from one end of it to the other was blocked off and the whole thing just was turned into like this kind of like street fair carnival concert you know just like row after row after row of stuff going on and it was like really crowded and packed uh but it was cool i mean the weather was really warm and nice and we got to see like tons of stuff um tons of people out in drag tons of people out wearing nothing tons of people in their pup gear which was like a very strong presence this year we saw many 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 pups this year (laughs) um also you know leather of course and you know whatever the whole the whole gamut of stuff was out there so that was really fun and then we kind of just hung out for a while and we're greeting people as they came by and passing out bottles of water and stickers and just saying happy pride to everybody that walked by. Uh, and it was a good time. It's a good time. Um, we were supposed to be there till like nine, but I think everybody had been drinking. And so they're like, eh, let's pack this up and get out of here. So I think we, <laughs> we packed up a little bit early. I think we left at like six maybe and uh, packed up the table and we just went, uh, went out to party a little bit more and then came home. So it was a good, good time. Very good time. Uh, very happy to be part of that and very happy to show support to the LGBTQ plus community. And I feel like my son got a um, real good exposure to all sorts of people that I know. We saw tons of people that I know in all, you know, in all their different arrays. And we said hi to everybody, lots of hugs all around. And it was just a really super cool, super positive uh, day. So I was really happy to take part in that and really happy that my son was old enough to kind of like take it in in a very conscious, you know, observational way. And we had, you know, just had some discussions and he was like, he was totally cool about the whole thing, man. He just like took it all in stride like it was no big deal at all so i was very proud to see that happening and uh yeah, it was a good day good day good weekend good times uh whenever i was in san francisco i saw the picture that you posted on instagram of your family at pride and I'm, i swear this is a true story um we were in a lift on the way i think to go downtown or to go to the castro or something and i looked back at Patrick and I was like oh look at this picture of Brad and his family and I showed it to him and then I said something about how like I couldn't wait until your son was like a a little bit older maybe like 16 to 18 because I can't imagine how cool he's gonna be whenever he's that old because you and Gina are just doing such an amazing job of like raising him like you know just 
being very open-minded and being very like liberal and accepting and really like kind of getting him out there and experiencing a lot of stuff. Um, Cause I'm sure a lot of normal, like, you know, nuclear straight couples would maybe be a little apprehensive about taking their young kids to a pride event or something like that. But the fact that you guys are very conscious about continually doing that kind of stuff with him is wonderful. And I can't wait to see how it shapes him as he gets older. Yeah, same, man, same. We're doing our best, you know. We love we love people. We love all sorts of people. We really try to practice what we preach, and, you know, inclusion and acceptance is what we are all about. And, you know, and also, I mean, props to the community as well, because they are super supportive of families and kids, and, like, everywhere we went, it was, like, happy pride, and people coming out of the way to say hi to him. And, every, I mean, this is everybody being cool. Like, anybody that we walked, I mean, people were like, oh, we love your outfit. Or we had matching shirts, by the way. I forgot to mention that. But we had, <laughs> we had matching pride shirts because as a dad, a corny-ass dad, uh, I love matching my family. Uh, and Gina got us these cool pride shirts that had, like, a rainbow. And they had, it was kind of like a Rosie the Riveter sort of an image on it. And it said something like um, human rights or something like that or whatever. So we got, you know, people could obviously tell that we were, like, a family. But, like, everybody, gay, straight, or whatever, um, was just like cool, happy pride, what's up? And like, you know, everybody was just like really cool. And, and whenever we went, um, it was really nice, really super supportive. At, at some point during the day, my son saw a uh, a parasol that somebody had. And he's like, oh my God, dad, I want a parasol. And I'm like, all right, well, if we can find it, there's like a thousand <laughs> vendors here, but if we can find it. Um, so we did find it and he got like this pink parasol and then he like popped it and we were like walking down just the street and like so many people were like, oh my God, I love your parasol. You look so great. And, you know, like it was just cool. It was cool that everybody was in a good mood and everybody was cool and everybody was cool with everybody and it didn't matter what you're wearing or what you look like or who you were with. Like it was just, everybody was fucking cool. Like I wish it was like that 24 seven all the time. So it would be a great world if it was. Yeah, no kidding. But leave it to the straight people to mess that up for everybody. Am I right? <laughs> fucking straight god filthy breeders jesus all right let's move on from pride i got a couple things um but what else you got on your 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 banter docket there you got anything to bring up i have a movie to bring up believe it or not oh is it the same movie that i have to bring up it is not the same movie you have to bring up <laughs> all right what do you got what do you got you go first well um you know it's a big big movie weekend uh spider-man came out um so what did I do? I took myself to the movies by myself last night, which is something I like doing. And I did not see Spider-Man. I saw Anna, which is Luc Besson's newest movie about a chick kicking a bunch of dudes' asses, which if you know anything about me, that is Your favorite much, genre. Yeah, it is literally my favorite movie genre. And I, so this movie kind of came out of nowhere. And I think I saw like, it was one of those situations where Obviously, they had put a marketing budget into it to, like, have a tweet go out every, like, five seconds about the movie. And this was about a month ago or so. And I remember seeing it. And I don't really pay that much attention to Luke Besson. Like, he did um, The Professional. Leon the Professional is maybe his most famous movie. Um, and that was with Natalie Portman when she was, like, 12. Um, he also did La Femme Nikita. He did um, Valerian was the last movie he did, which was with... Uh, I can't even remember the two actors that were in it, but, like, Rihanna was in it. It was the big, like, sort of, like, Mass Effect, like, space hunting planets thing. I only saw some of it, and it was not very good. It also did not make very much money at the box office, and I'm sure it cost, like, eight bajillion dollars to make. So, Luc Besson has sort of gone old school and done a... I mean, I wouldn't call it a low-budget movie, but it's obviously not, like, CGI everything movie called Anna, and it is about a 
this young, of course, it's a young, beautiful woman, because of course it's a young, beautiful woman, and she is a KGB assassin. She enlists into, she lives in Russia, she enlists into the Navy, and then a guy comes to recruit her because the her parents were in both in the KGB or something, and so they sort of single her out as, like, already having been, you know, living that life for a long time, and her parents are dead at this point, and then... They, like, recruit her, and she becomes, like, the KGB's top assassin or whatever. And it kind of—and I went in with very, very, very low expectations. I want to make that clear right now. The only reason I saw it yesterday is because um, it only—I knew it was going to be out of theaters in, like, no time. It's only been out for, like, two or three weeks, and it's already down to— two showtimes and one theater in New Orleans. So like it probably will last through the weekend and then we'll be gone. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go see it before it was out and I had pretty low expectations about it. And it's a good thing I had pretty low expectations because the movie was not very good. It was like, I know, like I was not expecting it to be great, but my sort of mindset in these kind of movies is if, if there's at least like one, great action sequence then like maybe the whole thing is worth it because obviously i don't think this movie is going to be like a giant you know like great political drama with great acting or whatever like i just kind of went to see her like kick a bunch of dudes in the face and unfortunately i should have learned my lesson about this because the same thing happened to me whenever i saw lucy which was luke basson's movie with scarlett johansson this was sort of like oh god yes I watched this because I was led to believe because Lucy made like so much money and I'm guessing part I of that it really yeah it really did it made a shitload of money and and mostly in international markets but it made a lot of money and I'm guessing it's because Scarlett Johansson sort of like carried that movie like it was kind of while she was it, it, it came out concurrently to around the time like the Avengers was coming out so I think people were pretty hot on Scarlett Johansson and then Luc Besson was pretty... I mean, he's, like, a pretty famous French director. I mean, he's done a lot of movies. He also has some, like, sexual harassment allegations right now, so that's not cool. Um, but Lucy made a shitload of money, and I rented Lucy, like, a couple years ago and watched it because I was under the impression it was going to be an action movie about Scarlett Johansson kicking a bunch of dudes' asses, which, as we've covered, is my favorite genre. But, you know, fool me once, because that movie was not that. She does kick a few guys' asses in the movie, but because Lucy is about her, like, unlocking all of her brain power and whatever, like, she doesn't really do a whole lot in the movie. She just, like, waves her hands and dudes, like, fly out of the way in the hallways and, like, smash up against the walls and stuff. Like, she only, like, literally only physically hand-to-hand fights, like, one person in the entire movie, and the fight lasts, like five seconds maybe um so lucy was very disappointing because i thought it was going to be like an action movie about her like kicking ass it was not that so here we are with anna which is the fool me twice shame on me because it is similar she does do a lot more like shooting and hand-to-hand stuff but there's really only like one big well there's like two big action sequences in the movie and but one of them is not very good there's one where she's in like a cafe and she goes in to like assassinate this like i don't know like dude high big wig or something so she like goes to the back and she goes to shoot him and her gun is not loaded because she didn't check it and like the kgb was maybe like trying to set her up as sort of like an exercise so she ends up having to fight like all these dudes in the cafe which like was an okay action sequence. I was hoping it was going to be better than it was. 
But it was just like, okay, like there's a lot of prop action going on where she like will flip over a table and she'll like grab a plate and start like hitting dudes in the faces with plates and then start like cutting their throats with these plates, which like, you know, is cool because it's like using the environment or whatever. But it just like wasn't super well choreographed and it wasn't super well shot. And then after that, pretty much every like quote unquote action sequence until one toward the end is her just like shooting she like will walk up and like shoot people in the head once and like that's it like it's not even an action sequence it's just like she walks through the door and she has like her sexy wig on or whatever and she just like lifts a gun to the camera and shoots a dude and like that's it so it's not they're like there's literally a montage like like three quarters of the way through the movie that's just like set to some like 80s song and she's just like it's just like one like clip after another after another after another of her just like walking through a door and like shooting a guy and like walking down a train and opening a door and shooting a guy and walking into a bathroom and opening a door and shooting two guys. And it's just like super, like it's not, there's no choreography. It's just like her shooting a guy with a silence pistol or maybe two guys with a silence pistol and then like walking away and that's it. And so I was really disappointed because I thought there was going to be like a lot of action set pieces in it. And, like, it was just very, like, low-budget, kind of off-brand version of Atomic Blonde. And Atomic Blonde is, like, one of my favorite action movies. I love it. That's with Charlize Theron that came out a couple years ago. And it's almost like a play-by-play of Atomic Blonde, but it's, like, not well shot. Yeah, not as good in any way. Like, it's not shot well. It's not beautiful. The action's not great. Um, Because, like, Atomic Blonde has, like, actual fight choreography. And, like, right in the middle of the movie, there's, like, a several-minute, like, one... I mean, it's rigged together, but it looks like a giant one-take fight sequence that's, like, down these stairs and in these rooms. And then they go out of the building, and there's a car chase, and it all looks like it's one shot. And it's, like, a wonderful action spectacle. And Anna was just really disappointing. Like, it was just... We, like, you could tell that it's just one of those weird movies where, like, Luc Besson found this, like, muse of this beautiful woman and just, like, wanted to cast her in his movies so that he could just, like, show her, like, you know, in, like, short skirts and, like, bustiers, like, shooting dudes. And it just felt really cringy and really kind of gross, like, kind of predatory in a way. So it doesn't surprise me that there's, like, you know, allegations of sexual harassment against him right now, but... It just, like, I was just, like, at the very least, can we get, like, some good action in this movie? And it was just, like, mediocre action, and a lot of it was just her walking around, looking sexy, and, like, talking to KGB operatives, and it was just very disappointing. So, I mean, luckily, I went in with low expectations and came out kind of, you know, it was more or less what I expected. I just wish there would have been, like, a little bit more action in it, because that's what I was led to believe this is going to be, but it was not that, unfortunately. That is too bad. I am not the biggest Luc Besson fan, so I'm I can't be too sad cuz I probably wouldn't have seen this movie anyway, but I know that this is your favorite genre <laughs> and it's not even like you're asking for a lot, right? Like you're just asking for a couple good action sequences, some shit kicking ass. I mean, that seems pretty basic. <laughs> so, for a film to not even really deliver on that is kind of a bummer. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Sorry to hear that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, we saw a movie also and we did not see that one we went for the obvious we went to go see spider-man far from home we went to see it on a very rare opening day because i was super psyched and i just wanted to go see it right away and it just so happened that gina got off work a little early she was in the mood i was in the mood we had time we had the opportunity why not so we went to go see spider-man far from home spoilers fucking awesome great movie (laughs) loved it um people were very excited for this movie the crowd was huge it was a packed house 
there were multiple Spider-Men in the audience. Uh, plenty of people showing up in their full spider gear. People doing Spidey poses outside the theater during the movie and like after the movie. Like everybody was like, everybody wanted Spider-Man. And we got it, man. It was a great film. I'm not going to talk about any spoilers. But clearly it stars Spider-Man and Mysterio, who if people are familiar with the Spider-Man comic books, which have been around for, I don't know, what, 70 years or something like that. Like, Mysterio has always been a Spider-Man bad guy. So it was interesting that they picked Jake Gyllenhaal and kind of spun him as a good guy. Now, for people who are not familiar with Mysterio, he's basically like a dude, and I'm not an expert on him by, by the me Anyway, I mean, I just, I've read a few comics, not the Mysterio expert, but from what I gather, he's basically just like a guy who manipulates special effects to kind of like pull off capers and stuff like that. So... I don't believe he has any real powers. He's always been kind of like a, a movie magic sort of villain. And I was really curious as to how they were going to pull that off. Uh, but they found a way. The writers of the Marvel Universe are pretty much the best uh, best writers ever because they found a really cool premise for making that work. Not going to spoil it here because it's kind of a, a detail in the movie. But I was very impressed with what they did. And it was interesting that they spun Mysterio as a good guy. Uh, and lots of like... the thing that See, the thing that makes the MCU the best thing ever... It's not just the cool action. And boy, holy shit, there was a few sequences in this <laughs> that were jaw-dropping. Like, they um, they have one sequence where Spider-Man gets caught out without his costume, but he still has to take action. And so you see Peter, um, not Peter Parker, like, in his day clothes doing Spider-Man shit. And so, like, the level of CG that they had to pull that off looked fucking awesome. Like, it looked really, really good and really cool. Um, and like, there's a few sequences where it's just like really just like boom, 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 just action, action, cool shots, like different camera work. So they were really putting a new spin on Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man's always acrobatic and athletic and swinging around and aerial, but they really went like one step further this time. And I was, I, I mean, I was just so super impressed with him in his regular clothes. Like it looked just fucking badass. Um, but the thing that makes the MCU the best and the thing that DC still hasn't really figured out is that it's the human moments that make the film. Like, anybody can make a film with a superhero punching somebody else, but it's like, show the human side. I mean, that's what really made Marvel successful in the first place. Like, when Stan Lee started writing about heroes who had flaws, who had problems, like writing about the original Peter Parker back in the day, who was like a nerdy high school kid who got beat up in class. Like, that was a thing a lot of people could relate to. And so in this in this film, um, Peter goes on this European tour with his high school class, and like it's just like this bumbling like series of errors and like he's trying to like make the moves on Mary Jane and it's just not working and he can't get his mojo going and he's I'm like dude as a fellow nerdy kid in high school myself like I was feeling that so hard like of like how do you be cool how do you impress a girl how do you get to know one when you don't have experience and when you haven't really walked that path yet uh they just really did a great job of capturing those moments I thought it was very real I thought it was very funny uh Peter I think is a great character Tom Holland kicks ass as an actor he's like the best Spider-Man ever um, so much cool shit in that movie. Like it was great from start to finish. And then there are a couple post credits, uh, sequences. And again, like just to pause for a minute, if you watch these Marvel universe movies, why do you get up before the credits aren't over? <laughs> there was like half the theater got up when the credits started rolling. And I'm like, where are you people going? What are you? Is this your first Marvel movie? Do you not know how this works? There's stuff coming. You guys stop, stop. Don't leave. Don't like people were leaving. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? So anyway, don't leave. Don't leave until the lights go on and they kick you out of the theater. Because there was, I think, two post-credits sequences. Maybe even, maybe you want to count them as three. But one of them was like a bombshell. Like, oh my God, what are they going to do after this? I'm not going to spoil it here. But like, 
the audience reaction was like gasping and like people like saying stuff out loud and being really shocked. So I thought that was a really powerful one. Um, there's a cameo, which people were cheering for. And then at the very end, there's like a nice little nod to the future of the MCU. So they were definitely laying the groundwork for the next series of films. I don't know why anybody would leave before you see that. You're crazy if you leave. You don't see that <laughs> stuff. But uh, it's a win. It's a win. Big, big win. Far From Home is fucking awesome. I loved it. Um, I just super, super good. I, I can't get enough of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I would watch movies like that forever. So loved it. Yeah, I'm looking, I think Patrick and I are going to go see it this weekend. So, like, the funny thing about this week for us is, like, I, like, we, I took Monday and Tuesday off because we didn't get back until Tuesday morning. I worked yesterday, which is Wednesday, and then today is July 4th, Happy Independence Day, so I'm off work today. Patrick is working today, and then tomorrow... I go back to work and then he's off work tomorrow. So we're basically like working opposite days. And then finally, uh, whenever I get off work on Friday, um, we'll have the weekend uh, to do whatever. So um, we got back and just haven't really, our schedules haven't really synced up. But I think probably on Friday or Saturday, we will go see uh, Far From Home. So I, like I said on the show before, I'm not the world's biggest Spider-Man fan, but I definitely enjoy most of like the MCU movies I've seen. And I liked Spider-Man Homecoming. I didn't love it. There were a lot of people who were like, oh my God, this is the best MCU movie or the best Spider-Man movie there's ever been. And I was like, yeah, it was like pretty good. Like I liked it, but I'm, I'm just not like as in love with the whole like superhero MCU stuff, but I did like it and I am excited about um, Far From Home. And I've seen, and I know I need to see it like ASAP because I feel like I'm like one finger scroll on Twitter away from having stuff spoiled for me. And I, I know that like, I've seen, like you just said it and I've seen other people say stuff about the post credit stuff and how there's like a lot of stuff going on there. So like, I need to see it like immediately because I know, I know somebody's going to spoil it and I'm not going to be pleased about that. But I think Friday, probably tomorrow or Saturday, Patrick and I will go see it. So I am pretty excited about that. Well, um, I do think you would still enjoy the movie whether you got spoiled or not. I don't think that anything that could be spoiled would really take away from the film. So I think that's good either way. But definitely go see it sooner rather than later. I think it'll be better on the big screen. And I'm surprised to hear you say that you're not the biggest Spider-Man fan considering how many times you photograph spider people <laughs> at conventions. You're like the number one Spider-Man photographer of like the southern United States. So I, I find that to be somewhat surprising. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy, like, my, my Spider-Man photography life is very separate from my movie-going life. And I think the thing about the Spider-Man movies that, or just maybe, like, the MCU in general, and I've probably said this a hundred times on the show before, that, you know, a lot of the movies follow the exact same beats of storytelling where it's like, all right, you have a person, and either the city or the universe or the world is in trouble there's a big bad who's threatening one of those things. The superhero goes and they solve the problem and then happy ever after, it's the end. And so it's just sort of like that like arc of storytelling. It's more of like the arc of storytelling that I'm not super in love with. And that's sort of why I thought Avengers Endgame was so incredible. And I mean, um, and uh, well, Endgame and Infinity War kind of put together because Infinity War was incredible because it kind of like went against the grain of all of that arc of storytelling where, you know, the good guys don't necessarily win and things are pretty like fucked up at the end of it, which is why I thought Infinity War was so special. And then seeing Endgame and having it really sort of pay off of that uh, also felt really special. So that's why I really like like those are a couple of my favorites because 
they just don't go the way you expect them to go. And I really sort of respect when people take more daring approaches to storytelling rather than it just being, all right, here's a good guy and bad guy. The world's in trouble. All right, the bad guy loses. The good guy wins. The movie's over. Like, I prefer just a little bit, I don't know, against the grain storytelling. And I feel like a lot of uh, MCU movies sort of stick to that kind of general character arc for a lot of their movies. Um, but I do, I do still enjoy them. I don't want to sound like I'm super down on them. Like I didn't come out of the theater and Spider-Man Homecoming being like, oh, fuck that movie. That was terrible. Like I do enjoy them. I just, they're just like kind of, just kind of fun popcorn entertainment for me. Like they don't really get me thinking about the human condition or about like storytelling or whatever. Like I'm just like, uh, you know, yeah, here it was. The good guy won the end, but I do still enjoy them. Well, fair enough, fair enough. And I think that, um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I often do not leave a Marvel movie thinking about the human condition either. As long as I go in there, I get some cool stuff blown up, have a good time, and I see the heroes doing some cool action, I, that's all I really go there for. I mean, I watch a wide variety of movies, and I, I look to other movies to fulfill those different things that I want out of them. But for the Marvel stuff, as long as they keep hitting that same pocket and keep delivering this good action, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't mind a good popcorn movie once in a while. I'm down for it, so... All right, I got nothing else to say. Corey, you got anything else to banter about, or should we start talking about some games? Um, I think we can safely move on to the games chat. All right, let's talk about some games.